Yo, hey, what's going on? Thank you so much for joining me today on The Shaleen Show. Today, I want to talk to you about an idea, a concept. Perhaps it's something you've been doing, and I just want to call some attention to it. It might be the reason why you're feeling drained. It might be the reason why you feel frustrated or resentful, or it might just be something that you want to do more of. Today, I want to talk to you about the idea that you might be attracting wounded, hurt, broken, or just really needy people into your life. I'm also going to help you understand how to to still enjoy helping people, but also to establish boundaries so you don't leave yourself on empty. Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. I was born in Detroit, and my parents were born and raised in Detroit. And about the time they were newly married and I was a young child, they realized they wanted to to move out of, like we lived in a pretty bad neighborhood in, in Detroit, and my parents could see that crime was on the rise and people were leaving. My dad wanted to start his own business. He didn't want to work in the factories like both of his parents had, so my parents decided to move us from the city to the country. And we moved to this little teeny tiny town, town, yeah, town, called Fowlerville, Fowlerville, Michigan. I remember watching Little House on the Prairie. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that, but like that, I felt like that's where we had moved, except that we had running water and I didn't call my parents ma and pa. (laughs) Do you remember watching that show? Anyways, every day, I had to, my sister and I had to walk from our, our home down this really crazy long driveway and then down a dirt road, which seemed like it was miles and miles long, to another dirt road where we would wait patiently for the bus to pick us up. Now, I haven't been back as an adult, and I'm curious to know how long that walk really was. In my mind, it was like 10 miles, and my parents just sent us out there to be kidnapped. You know, like they just had no regard for our well-being. They sent us out hungry and desperate for candy on this long, desolate road. And I can't even believe I'm alive to tell you this story. I wonder how long it really was, though. Maybe it was, who knows, maybe it was only like a couple of blocks. But in my mind, it, it was several miles. I don't really know how long it was. All I know is that the journey was long enough that at least once a month, I found some kind of a wounded animal, usually a wounded bird or like a bird that had been kicked out of the nest before it could fly. And I would scoop up that little animal, whatever it was, and carefully transport it back to our home, where I would then find a shoebox and do my best to nurse this wounded bird back to life. And I remember my mom would oblige, and she would allow me to try to bring these animals, these birds usually, back to life. Now, I took this role very seriously, and I would think about that bird all day long while I was at school. And that that walk from the bus stop to our home, which felt, again, like it was miles long, I couldn't do it fast enough because I knew I had to get, get to my house as quickly as possible so that I could help this bird so I could nurse this bird and I and I didn't sleep well whenever I took on one of these projects because I would worry if the bird was still alive and was it getting enough nutrients and did it miss its mother and you know I just thought of all these things and in my mind as a child I also imagined that this animal would be nursed back to health and then it would be like 
we would have this amazing bond, right? And I would be like the girl who had a crow on her shoulder or something. I don't know in my fantasy. But it wasn't until I was married and had my own children, my own family, that I began to realize that pattern had followed me into adulthood and that I was still looking for wounded birds that I could nurse back to health. I believed that there must be something about me that was attracting these people into my life, that it must be because I'm kind and caring and thoughtful and uh, strong, that I'm attracting people who want to be those things and they feel safe around me and they feel like they can trust me or they could open up to me. And I, I believed that there was some altruistic intention behind it, that I was just a caring, loving person, and these people found me for that reason. Yet I still felt some resentment. As much as I enjoy helping people, and especially people who are need and need me, as much as I enjoy being needed, I also would start to feel resentment, especially, well, actually not until I had kids. Once I had children of my own, and I realized I, I have so much I have to give to my, my kids, my husband, my, my business, the things that I'm working on, the customers that I serve, the people who I'm trying to help, who I don't even know. I started to feel this strange kind of tug and pull. I started to feel resentful that these individuals needed so much from me. But I also noticed there were times at which I really wanted that. I wanted these people to need me. I wanted to be their mentor, their guide, their crutch, their support system, their savior, the person who could come in with a cape and I could be that person who could help them. I, I really enjoyed doing that, but in smaller and smaller doses and kind of like on my terms, once I realized there was a lot of people who I needed to be there for. And it took some self-reflection to understand how much a part of it I was and how much control I had in turning it around. So today, let's start with some self-awareness. If you find that you are either attracting damaged relationships, like maybe your love interest or your friendships, or just that people are, that gravitate to you tend to be very needy or broken or hurt, or even the kind of people that hurt you, let's talk about why that might be happening. Well, number one, your energy is attractive. You are likely a very positive person or strong or caring or empathetic. Maybe you're the kind of person who helps other people to heal. Like that's just part of your soul, part of who you are. It might be that you are very confident. Confident people make other people feel safe. And when we feel safe, that's when we can let our guards down and we can be vulnerable. And for some people, they haven't experienced that in their entire lives. They've been around unsafe people. And so for them to get a glimpse of you or to feel your energy, you will find that oftentimes people will just open up the floodgates. You'll find that strangers will pour out things to you that they've never told anyone because they do feel safe with you and rightfully so. But what if you're not just attracting these people, you're actually seeking them. You're seeking them out, perhaps unknowingly. Why might we do that? Well, one reason is it's easier oftentimes to care for others than it is to care for ourselves. In the same way that it's easier to talk about other people's problems than to address our own. It also gives us a sense of significance and importance. 
when somebody needs us, you wake up every day and you feel really important. You feel significant. And we are all wired to search for and seek significance. We want to feel like we matter. It also is a gift when people give us their trust. I still to this day feel like it is a gift when someone who I care about reaches out to me and I, they know that they can trust me implicitly, that I'm not going to share that very private personal information with even my closest friend. I won't do that because I don't need to do that. I think oftentimes we can't trust others because they're going to repeat things because it makes them feel like they're in the know, which gives them significance, also known as gossip. Now, you might find that people who are gossips rarely become the individual that others can confide in because they know that information that they're sharing with you means that they're sharing information with other people too. And people who love to share information that is none of their business and no one has asked for it, those individuals are trying to gain significance by sharing inside insider private information. They're trying to make themselves feel more important. It's something that people do when they don't feel like they are as significant, then they will share significant information with other people and it's none of their business. That's called gossip and we'll talk about that in another episode. But the other reason why you might be attracting these people into your life is because it is, it's attractive. It's, it's addictive, if you will. What happens is we, we feel a sense of love or adoration and that releases dopamine in our brain. And it's, it's really no different from falling in love with someone, right? When, when we have that sensation, that dopamine release, it can be very addictive. It feels good. So we may unknowingly be seeking it out. We often also are attracting these people to us because it serves a purpose for us. In other words, if I'm helping someone who's a couple of steps behind me, it's kind of the same reason why I tend to love watching reality TV. It's because, you know, when you watch some of these scenes, you go, I'm, I've really got it together. This makes me feel good about myself because these people, their lives, their priorities, they're, oh, it's so messed up. And that makes me feel better about myself. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. I know a lot of what they do on those shows is for show. But the same concept is often at play when we are unknowingly seeking people who aren't as put together as we are. That makes you feel more put together by contrast. We may be unknowingly seeking out these types of relationships because it gives us something to do. I know that sounds kind of crass, but what I mean by that is when you have something to focus on, it's exciting. And oftentimes these relationships are really unpredictable. And there's great highs and great lows, especially when the people that you're attracting are a love interest, right? Like, so you, you just keep attracting these guys who are either emotionally unavailable or maybe women who are broken and have low self-esteem, or, or maybe it's someone who's abusive or an addict. And that gives you something to work on. It's a project. It gives you purpose. It makes you, maybe it's even reminiscent of a childhood relationship. Maybe even though it's really uncomfortable and volatile and unpredictable, it also feels familiar because that's what you saw in your own home. Once I became aware, self-aware that I was doing these things, I had to recognize that I was actually seeking people who had quote-unquote potential. For me, 
it meant that I had to do some real soul searching and be honest with myself and recognize that it wasn't just that I was attracting these people into my life. In many cases, I was seeking them out. I realized I needed to change this about myself when it began to have an impact on my energy. And your energy is the most valuable thing that you have, and you've got to protect it. You owe your energy to the people that you love and care about and your healthiest relationships. You owe yourself energy so you can show up at your best, so that you can do the things that you only you can do, so that you can, you can live your life authentically. And in order to do that, you, you have to realize you're in charge of setting up those boundaries. You are in charge of protecting your energy. We often think that people who are needy or broken or wounded, that they have poor boundaries. When the fact of the matter is, the boundaries are ours. So if someone's overstepped those boundaries, it's your boundaries that are too weak or unestablished or unclear. So it really boils down to personal responsibility. Let's go there. The first thing you have to do is recognize your own patterns. I've gotten really good at this. I catch myself wanting to ask that next deeper question when I've met someone who I can tell. I just know I can sense it. There's an intuition that I have when I walk in a room. I can feel people's energy. I think many of us are intuitives in this way. You're empathetic and you can literally walk into a room and if you can, without anyone saying anything, you can feel who's having a bad day, who's having a good day, who's feeling self-confident, who's feeling self-doubt. If you can feel all those things and you're aware of it and then you find yourself searching for or being drawn to help that one person who's feels whose energy feels the lowest, whose energy feels like it's pulling down the room. If if you find yourself routinely being drawn to that person, that's what I found with myself, you just have to recognize that pattern. You have to stop and say, oh, I see what I'm doing here. And then cut yourself off at the path. One thing that I used to do is if I could sense that this was happening, I would be drawn to that person and start asking questions and start the relationship and end up again carrying home another wounded bird to stay up all night and feed it in a shoebox. So catch yourself in your patterns. How do these relationships often begin for you? What things are you doing that you're making yourself almost too attractive? You're beginning this relationship again. Step two is to parent yourself, like have boundaries, have rules. If your children know every time they walk in the house that they are going to take their shoes off before they go upstairs, you you no longer have to police that. They just know when I walk in the house, my shoes need to be off. We've all been around that parent whose child is in the room and you're trying to have an adult serious conversation and the child, every time they interrupt, no matter for what reason, the other adult, the parent, responds to the child and allows the conversation to be interrupted over and over and over and over again. And you as a a bystander can clearly see that this child is manipulating mom or dad just to prove to themselves and the world that I control mom and dad's attention. I get to call the shots. And P.S. parenting tip, if you are simply telling your child, just make sure you say, excuse me, Well, newsflash, all you're doing is teaching your child a more polite way to control you. 
and the situation. To be effective as a parent and to effectively have our own boundaries, you need to clearly define them and then never bend. When we break our own policies, when we break our own rules, when we allow other people to do that, we have to take responsibility for the weak boundary. And we can expect that people are going to spill and step all over it time and time again because you've allowed it to happen. An example of this might be if you have a very needy coworker who then starts to carry things over into after hours, sending a couple of texts. The moment you respond after work hours, you've already given them permission. You've set, you've lowered your standards or you've opened up the gates to your boundaries. And then they text later, and then it turns into phone calls, and then it turns into can we meet on the weekend. And the next thing you know, you're resentful, yet you're also the person who's responsible for letting down your boundaries. Boundaries have to be established from the beginning. But in order to have boundaries, you need to know what they are and you need to stick to them. And you can do that by being both gentle and kind and direct. An example of that might be a friend who's going through a difficult time, a really difficult time, and you want to be there for them. But this friend seems to always be going through difficult times. And that's okay. But sometimes it feels like it's just too much. Establish some boundaries. And sometimes these have to be communicated, but oftentimes it's just through our patterns that they will be understood. For example, if this friend is constantly texting or calling or needing you in the evening hours when you're with your family, you can simply respond, hey, busy with the family right now, getting everyone ready and settled for bed? Let's chat tomorrow. But remember, if the very next night you do respond in the evening, what you've done is weakened your boundaries. You've made them unclear. Now think about this for a moment. I know that there are people you can text and you will get an immediate reply. There's also people you've tried this with. Maybe it's work or personal. You've tried it with them and maybe you were frustrated that they didn't give you a quick reply. Their reply came several days later via email. And then you tried it again. And again, their reply came several days later via email. Eventually, you don't even try it anymore. You understand that that boundary is there. You might send them an email versus a text message. You'll send it during business hours. And you also then expect that you'll hear back from them a couple of days later via email. Your expectations are there because this person has clear boundaries. And they didn't even have to put them in writing or explain them to you. It is consistency that makes those boundaries understood. My next suggestion is going to be probably the toughest, and it's this. You have to be okay with disappointing people, with people being unhappy with you. You have to be okay with that. If, in fact, it's for the right reasons. And in order to know that, you have to be very clear on who you are and what your responsibilities are. You are never responsible for the happiness of another. It's wonderful when we can help people to be happy, but happiness isn't something that we can give to others, and it's certainly not something we are responsible to help others with. That has to come from within. And you and I both know there are some people who ain't never going to be happy, which means you will always feel like you're disappointing them. All right, we're going to take a quick break to talk about something that does not disappoint. But when we come back, we're going to talk about whether that person's disappointment is appropriate or not. 
But first, I want to talk to you about something that is not disappointing, and that is my mattress. Brett and I have been in love with the sleep number bed for almost 17 years now. Yeah, 17 years, which is crazy. And I and I know it's 17 years because we got our first sleep number bed when Sierra was one year old. And we've since upgraded to the sleep number 365 smart bed, which I freaking love, which means that we then gifted our original sleep number bed to our daughter, Sierra. That's how well-made these beds are. They, it's, you know, who would gift an old mattress to someone? This, this mattress doesn't sag. And right now, you can get your own sleep number by going in for one of the biggest sales of the year. All their beds are on sale, including their queen mattress, which, by the way, starts at $8.99. Now, my sleep number bed, I, I told you this. I change my number all the time. Currently, my setting is at 80. Currently, Brett's setting is at 85. We're pretty close. But you can change your sleep number setting according to your needs. Like, is your body sore? Do you need something a little softer, a little firmer? And your number is independent to your partner's number. Not only does the sleep number bed help us fall asleep faster, it helps keep you asleep. Now, the bed that Brett and I have, the sleep number 360 smart bed, that bed actually senses your movements and then automatically adjusts so that you're comfortable all night. It's kind of crazy. I want you to go in and try out one of their beds. You can go in to any number of their stores. Again, they have a sale right now where you can save up to 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed. And you can find the Sleep Number beds only at one of their stores. Of course, online too. But check them out at one of their stores. They have 575 locations nationwide. So to find the one closest to you, just go to sleepnumber.com forward slash Shaleen and you will see the map and you can pick the one that's closest to you and you can go in and actually lay on a bed and learn all the cool things that this bed will do for you. I highly recommend it. All right, back to the show. I also want you to consider whether their disappointment is reasonable. Just ask yourself that. Is is this reasonable? Is this fair? Are they treating me with the same awareness about my own needs and my commitments and my responsibilities? Or is this a very one-sided, needy situation and their disappointment in me is selfish, frankly? And if that's the case, the fact that they're disappointed in you, disappointment that comes from unrealistic, selfish reasons, shouldn't make you feel guilty. We should feel guilty. We should only feel guilt when we've knowingly done something to hurt another, when our intentions were unpure. Perhaps guilt makes sense when we have a responsibility, we know it's our responsibility, it's truly our responsibility, and we haven't lived up to it. We haven't fulfilled that responsibility. Many years ago, I remember a friend reached out for help, and I'd helped this person on many previous occasions. Now, that shouldn't matter. Why I'm telling you that is, again, to relieve some of my own people-pleasing guilt stuff that's still there, right? Like, I'm not a perfect person. I'm definitely still working through this myself. So anyways, this person reached out and they needed assistance paying another relative's mortgage. They were worried that this relative was going to lose their home and be homeless and they couldn't care for themselves. And there were a lot of circumstances outside that relative's control. Now, mind you, I don't know this relative, but I did have a very close relationship with the person who called for the loan. Financially, Brett and I could have helped. Now, obviously, paying this person who we didn't know, paying, paying their mortgage for a month or so 
wasn't our personal responsibility. That wasn't something Brett and I felt like that was something we were obligated to do, but we were able to do it. So we were stuck with a tough decision. Okay, financially, we are able to do this. It is not our responsibility, but should we do this? It was a pivotal moment because I knew I was going to be disappointing the person who was asking for the money. I also knew that I might worry then about the person who might lose their home. But worry and other people's disappointment, again, that doesn't mean that you have to be responsible for those people. Because who are you responsible to? You're responsible to your own family. You're responsible for managing your own energy. You're responsible for managing disappointment in yourself. We told this person, unfortunately, we would not be able to help. And here's the irony. It was a little uncomfortable because this person knew that financially we could do that. And this person was also uncomfortable in asking us for that. And what was once a pretty close relationship after that conversation, it got very distant. But that's okay. I didn't worry about the fact that I had disappointed this person because I knew it was an unrealistic request. It wasn't our responsibility to take care of financially someone else's family members. And here's the irony. Years later, we reconnected and developed a much healthier relationship. So much healthier. And I did so with great trepidation, like I was worried, oh, we're going to get right back into that same pattern. But because I'd established a new boundary, and frankly, done a lot of soul searching after that incident, once we did reconnect, it was so much healthier. And I can tell you that today, it's a completely different relationship. It's much more give and take. Today, I can say that the way our relationship was before was very unhealthy. And a great part of that was due to the fact that I was really unclear in my own boundaries. I was sending mixed messages. Now, it's true that there have been relationships where it wasn't just simply the way I behaved that changed the relationship. I actually had to have a heart-to-heart, gentle, kind, empathetic conversation, but be very clear and concise about how much I could give and when and even what I could give. When Brett and I ourselves got back on our feet financially and this abundance started to come into our lives where we were making more and more money and helping more and more people and I could just feel this abundance, right? And I really had adopted this abundancy mindset. There was a part of me that believed I needed to give that money away to other people as they asked for it, regardless of what they asked for, because that would give me more abundance. But I quickly realized what was happening is a depletion of my energy. My energy was no longer abundant because every time someone asked for something, especially financial, I thought, well, it's just, it's easy to give people this money. We, we don't need it and, and God will reward us with more and we'll have more abundant financial blessings if we just give our money away, which was true, except that I wasn't taking care of myself. Now, we were definitely giving away money without the notion that someone was going to have to repay us. Like oftentimes people would come to us and say, well, I need to borrow, you know, could I borrow this amount of money? It would just be for a short period of time and then I'll pay you back. And we always gave without the belief that it needed to come back to us. Like it was, we would never give money away if we needed it to be repaid. Without question, we definitely gave some really, really big loans away, but we we did so holding hands and saying, we have to be okay giving this person this loan, knowing that we may never 
be paid back? And we, if the answer was yes, then we would give freely of that money. But here's the truth. We weren't really giving it freely because in the back of my mind, even if that person didn't repay me, there were strings attached in my mind. And those strings were gratitude. This person better have gratitude like for the rest of their life. This person better remember. I hope that this person thanks me in the future. And you see, th- that means that we weren't giving a gift just to give a gift. Even if we weren't expecting to be repaid, I had to be honest with myself and say, no, I, I do have strings. I am giving this with strings attached, and therefore I shouldn't be doing that. If, if I'm expecting that this person be grateful, if I'm expecting that this person remember this in the future and that they, whatever, do a favor for me or they remain loyal, well, then it's not truly a gift. That realization made it much easier to discern who, where, when, and how we were going to help other people. And I wanted to end on that one. Now, you might not be in a situation where you're able to freely help others out financially, but if you are regularly helping people, I want you to ask yourself if you're truly doing it as a gift or if you're doing it with some unconscious strings attached. Like, I'm, I'm going to be there for this person, but I expect that they're going to give me their love, that I'm going to be their favorite, that I'm going to be the best, that I'm going to be the person who they think. Are you giving and helping other people because you want to be put up on a pedestal? Are you giving because it serves you in some way? Or are you giving truly because it serves them and you need absolutely nothing in return? Oftentimes, the toughest place to figure this out is with the people where we feel like we really don't have control. It's a family member. It's your significant other, or it's your mom or your dad. And in those situations, we we just feel like we don't have much control. But that's false. You actually do. The only person that you are responsible for is you. The only person who you ultimately need to take care of first is you. And I know it's cliche, you've heard it a million times before, but it's such a fact that you've got to help yourself before you can help others. When that air mask drops out of the ceiling and you're on a flight that's losing cabin pressure, if you don't first put the mask on yourself, you can't save anyone else who happens to be sitting near you. And the same is true of our lives. And don't forget that the more we help people, the more conditioned they are to believe that they can't do it themselves. Man, this is especially true for our children, but it's, it's also true for your parents, right? And, and your siblings and your closest of friends. If you've trained and conditioned people that you'll fix everything, that you'll take care of everything, that you will carry the burden, that you will be the person to listen, that you will be the person who they can confide in, that you will be the person to solve problems for them, are you really helping them? Or... Are you doing that to help yourself feel better about who you are? Whoa, this is getting deep, super deep. This is the kind of episode that I know we're going to want to talk more about. And the best place to do that is inside our pod squad. It's a free Facebook group. You can join it just by going to Facebook and just type in, well, actually, the link will be below this episode, but you can also go to Facebook and just type in Shaleen's pod squad and just join us there. I also wanted to mention that I did a really important episode on Build Your Tribe on Thursday, or I'm doing it depending on when you're listening to this. It's about how to revitalize your 
social media. And I want you to listen to that episode if you've been struggling with your social media and how you can help people there. I think you'll take, have some amazing takeaways. That is on Build Your Tribe. I highly recommend that you subscribe to Build Your Tribe. Even if you're not someone who's interested in business, we talk about social media, we talk about finding your thing, we talk about serving other people. Um, and, and I think you're really gonna get a lot out of it. What we don't talk about on Build Your Tribe is health-related stuff, but financial health we do. So there's a link for Build Your Tribe below the show notes on this episode. All right. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Thank you for writing reviews. In fact, we're going to read you one right now. I think you're going to love it. And as always, I appreciate you. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Brooke Powers, Vice President at Team Johnson and Smart Life. Today's review by Mr. Schmidt entitled Perfect Timing. The timing of your podcast today about sending your kid off to college was incredibly perfect. I leave this morning to take my youngest son to college, and next week I'm dropping my oldest son off in San Clemente, California for an internship. It's surreal. Thank you for helping me see that everything I'm feeling today is totally normal. I'm so proud of the job I've done raising my sons as a single mom. My kids have been front and center of my life since I was 22 years old. And while I'm sad that this time has come, I am also looking forward to shifting more of the focus on me. Everything has been worth it. Thank you. Thank you. 